Welcome to the From Survivor to Thriver podcast. I'm Mark Fernandes. Each week, along with my co-host Eric DeRosa, we aim to shatter the stigma around mental health conversations through kitchen table conversations with real and relatable people. All the while, reminding our audience that they are not alone. There is hope, there is help, and there is a way through. Enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to From Survivor to Thriver, episode 113. I think the last few episodes I've actually forgotten to introduce myself or just waited to do it, so I'm going to get it out of the way. This is one of your co-hosts, Mark Fernandes, and uh, excited to have our guest on today. And I'm just going to start, Eric. I'm going to introduce my wonderful, wonderful co-host from across the creek in frigid Colorado. (laughs) Here we are at Snowmass. Eric DeRosa, how are we this evening? Hi, good to see you. Uh, Frigid, yes, frigid is a really good term to use. But along with that frigid temperature has come an amazing, amazing holiday gift of fluffy, deep, powdery snow that I know you've lived here much longer than I have, but I have never seen a December this early where the snow has been this incredible. And and today I was lucky enough to go out and ski with one of my very close ski mentors who you know quite well. And he told me a couple of, uh, we were laughing about a couple of stories and the runaway dumpster story came up and, and he, he was laughing. He still yes. contends that it was a compliment. Yes, that's what he said to me. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, but I love when he tells it, and then I lo- when you tell it because I get it from two different viewpoints. And, and, and you got to use the whole quote because it was a a runaway dumpster, runaway dumpster that's on fire. On fire. <laughs> well, and then so I told him. I said, I said, and I'm not well, going to say his name, but I said we took that to a new level last year. I said we were out on a day very similar to like today, but the snow was even deeper. I said, and we were standing at the top of AMF. And I said, and I remembered the story. And so then Mark and I have a little running joke where sometimes I'll tell him how many turns I want him to make. And I remember looking at him and I said, five. And I said, and it was one of the first times I ever saw Mark kind of look at me and be like, I think you're a little bit out there. And I said to him, I said, but he I took off. So by the time he came to I thought you trip, were overstating. I thought you were yeah. overstating my talent and ability, uh, but, yeah, but I think I, said, I did it in yeah. four. I said when he came through the shoot, he was doing about 50 miles an hour. I said, and he never slowed down. And and along with him in my group was one of our very, very, very close friends. And so it was the first time she and I've had a chance to ski together since last season. And since we're all going to be super busy. Uh, so we literally had a group of four, which was great. And we just spent the day uh, floating around as we often do with him. You've done it as well, Mark. It was just one of those really cool days. And it was a day that I needed uh, to kind of put my my mind where it needs to be for the upcoming uh, couple of months that we're about to have. So it was, it was really good. And how are you doing? I'm good. I could use a day like that. My days have been filled with leading training for others, uh, which is fantastic. But it's, you know, it can be draining. It's tiring. It's tough. And shoveling all of the snow not just skiing it which you know i'd rather be doing but you know my new life includes a shovel now and again uh but uh things are going really well you know i um my wife and i have had two ski dates which for this time in the season is never 
I would say yep. I can't remember that ever happening since I was in the industry. So it's been it's been good. She's been crazy busy, but she's doing a much better job um, taking a little time for herself here and there, which I'm proud of her. But things are great. Excellent. 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 Well, we are going somewhere much warmer. It's a state we've visited before. So we're going to go down to Houston, Texas, where we got the latest weather update, which was I think we were in the in somewhere in the 60s, which uh, mm-hmm. is 60 degrees warmer than where we are broadcasting from right now, because joining us today is Javon Wooden. He is an Army veteran, certified mindset and perception coach, author, speaker, and founder of Live Not Loathe LLC. He has overcome adversity, depression, and PTSD to earn multiple certifications recognized throughout the coaching community as well as an MBA from the University of Maryland, Robert H. Smith Business School, and an MS in cybersecurity from Fordham University. Shout out to New York City, Mark, our former home. His mission is to empower others. Wait, wait, wait. Shout out to New York City. You're going to fear the turtle. He went to University of Maryland, man. That's what my entire in-laws. My wife's the only one that didn't go. I don't know much about it. I don't don't know much about it. fear the turtle. The turps. Yeah, no, I don't. We're we're going to talk. (laughs) (laughs) His mission is to empower others to increase their self-confidence, improve their self-perception, and design a life they don't need a vacation from. I could have used Javon back in 2010 through a mindset shift from scarcity to abundance. With that, from a much warmer Houston, Texas, let's welcome in Javon. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, gentlemen. And yes, I am so happy I'm in a warmer place because I do not miss that being from Rochester, New York. That cold, y'all can have it. <laughs> it's different. It is different. We like it honestly, even with all the snow we've had, we probably haven't anywhere approached the humidity and dampness you get in Rochester. That just like gray, bone chilling, you know, Eric and I both grew up in mass on the coast. So we know, and that's the thing. Like, even as cold as it is here, I have to tell you, well, actually, you know what? Don't come to Colorado. It's okay. We got plenty of people here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I, um, I jest because I, Javon specifically, and any of our listeners, we'd love to see you out here. But it is that thing where I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, it's okay. Yeah, it gets cold here. Yeah. But it is. Don't worry. I do that for Houston too. So <laughs> well, you don't have to come. Hey, it's okay. That's, that's a different, that's a different animal, man. I have, I have been to a lot of cities uh, all over the world, but man, that you want to talk about sprawl. That place is enormous. I was lucky enough to be at Super Bowl 51 there and had an amazing time. Houston did a top-notch job hosting. I have to say, you know, that sort of epitome of Southern hospitality was true. Um, It was wonderful. And uh, I didn't realize how much the people of that area really disliked the Falcons. So they were really excited to see (laughs) Patriots fans, which we don't usually get in our Super Bowl cities. So uh, uh, it was awesome. And man, amazing food, wonderful culture. And uh, I I even got to go down and spend an entire day down at the NASA Space Center. And I went full nerd. It was amazing. And I loved it. But yeah, so how did you end up in Houston? How how did you decide Houston? Oh, well, Houston, I did a lot of research, right? Uh, so I'm, I'm a researcher. I'm a, I'm a nerd myself. Self-proclaimed. I love being called a nerd. Uh, it's actually a compliment, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just did a lot of research. I was looking from somewhere that was veteran friendly, that was really entrepreneur friendly, that was not high in cost of living, had a great quality of life, had weather that I, I can jive with. I know it gets really humid and hot here, but I don't mind it. You know, I've, I get to work from anywhere. So um, I don't know why, but I guessed, 
I had guessed I was going to get an answer like that. Not like, I don't know. I threw a dart at a map. So, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, no, no. I did a lot of, a lot went into this move, man. <laughs> That's and for cool. those of us like Mark and I, who are big baseball fans, Mark will probably pick up on this. I do believe Houston won its first world series this year. Correct. Yes. Yes. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> there it is. Yes. I see Mark. You're face. being a douchebag. I, I, I mean, I agree with you. I agree with yeah. you, but like, who knows? Maybe they cheated this year too. We don't know. That's true. So maybe they haven't won the world. Maybe they haven't won the World Series yet. So, no, no, so no, no. officially, they have two trophies. Hey, yeah. but they really did have. They, they really ass this. Season. They did. They were they so did. good. And as a as a baseball fan, I applaud them. They, I mean, the team that they had on the field this year was. Yeah, they were a wagon. What well, I have to say yeah. is, as a former as a former pitcher, too, it's a bummer that Verlander signed elsewhere. But man, like. The joy that that fan base must have of having had that guy pitch for them and just extend the you know peak of his career, which is really rare for a power pitcher like that to be able to do. It's been yeah, and heat, man, and and by all you know, I, and I hope it's true, but like you know, by all accounts, like just a quality dude, great human. So you love to see that kind of success yep. in someone like that. So, yep. Um, and I will say that although the Texans are having a terrible year. They're winning in my book because they got rid of Deshaun. Because the Watson. other guy is in Cleveland. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we just yeah, say the other guy I is agree. in Cleveland. <laughs> like, I don't know how he's still playing. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. So We could do but, an entire series of episodes yeah. on that. But yeah, uh, but <laughs> I love to see teams. I'd much rather root for a team who's 1-10-1. in 10 and one. Is that their record or something like that? I don't, actually, um, I don't even think it's that bad. Yeah. And they found some young talent. You know, yeah. hopefully they can... They can get it, sport but look, we could talk about sports all day. Yes, I, I, much, I, more I important is, much more much important, more important is, is Javon. Javon, welcome. <laughs> We're so excited to have you on. Be ready. We will tangent. We okay. there, this will happen. That's but, all right. <laughs> but, you know, listening to your bio, you know, unfortunately, I've had fortunately and unfortunately, I guess is the best way I would say it. I've been lucky enough uh, to have a ton of people in my family. We've had a ton of guests who have served and thank you for your service. Uh, much yes. appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you. But I know it doesn't come without its wounds and scars and, you know, hearing your story and, and hearing, you know, not your story yet, but just your bio and this idea of PTSD and, and I know there isn't always enough support when you come home. What was it like mm -hmm. when you came home? Yeah, I, I think that um, the concept of support, not enough support is is definitely a big thing. Um, and also as a vet, not knowing where to go to for the support that's there, you know, in the culture, a lot of people talk about all the, the resources that are available by the VA and all those, uh, you know, communities and everything. But as a vet, you're taught the exact opposite. Right. You're told to, to suck it up and drive on, at least when I was coming up, like suck it up and drive on. You know, if there is, is there bone broken? Can you see the bone? You know, that type of stuff. Take some Advil, drink some water. You OK. Um, so even more so when it's the scars you can't see. Right. Those are the hardest to heal. And just being willing to talk about it is something that a lot of vets. We just don't have that. We're just like, oh, we'll, we'll be all right. You know, we can get through it just like anything else. So I think that is the toughest part is the culture, right? There are resources available. And, you know, when you come back from like a deployment or something like that, you go through these different programs. But to be quite honest, most of us will say, yeah, we're good. I don't feel like staying here or being hold, held over. I already just did a year over in Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever I went to. I'm just trying to get home. Not knowing 
that a lot of times the symptoms don't come forward until like a year later. Right? You don't even know. You're, you're like, I'm good. You know, I'm back home. And next thing you know, you're having nightmares or you don't understand why you're feeling down, depressed. You don't enjoy anything. So it's it's really, you know, it's, it's a lot of resources, but there has to be a cultural shift in, in the veteran community. When, when, did, when did you come home? 2017 was my last deployment. Okay. Because we have heard from some of the people we've spoken to, and you know, we've spoken to people that have served 20 years ago up through now. Mm-hmm. We have heard there's been a shift, but there's further to go right. for sure. And and I guess my question to you is, was that your experience? Did you start to have some symptoms right when you came home? Or was it, was there kind of a big gap and then it showed up later, you know, kind of snuck up out of the shadows, so to speak? Yeah, for me, I, and there, I will note that there has been a shift. I mean, if you think about Vietnam, those guys, they were like, oh, they're shell-shocked. They'll be okay. And they just forgot about them completely. You know, some of them don't even have their records anymore. So there's definitely a huge shift in what they're looking to do for PTSD and, and any type of trauma that you've experienced. So um, I do um, applaud the, the military for that. Um, there's, of course, a lot to be done. You know, it's a, it's a huge machine. It's a behemoth. So change happens slowly, right? But they are there are working heavily, investing heavily into it. But uh, yeah, I would say that um, there has been that shift. I do see that. But for me, it happened like eight months later, right? I came home and, you know, of course, you don't even know that you probably had some other trauma too. So it's a compound effect. You know, if you've deployed multiple times or whatever the case may be, you may not even have recognized it, It may not even registered on the Richter scale for you. Um, But then it's just that one thing that just happens and you're like, you get home, you're like, you know what? This sucks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just don't even know why I feel this way. I should be happy. Well, and as, a, and as a civilian, it's always so hard to hear that because it's like you were in the shit eating MREs, you know, mm. people trying to blow you up, shoot you. And then you come home and you're like, wait, I can't handle this. And, it, you know, yeah. so and I think and I think that's one of the hard things, both on the outside and on the inside. Right. Because I and please, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but some mm. of the stuff we hear sometimes is, you know, people are like. Yeah, I didn't know, like, why could there be anything wrong? I was home. I was warm. My, you know, sister, brother, mother, wife, family were around me. Like, and all of a sudden I couldn't exist in this world again. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just I think that shift. And look, I have to thank you because I think part of it is just the shift of someone like you coming out and speaking out and being like, yeah, it wasn't okay. You know, I I needed some of these resources. I needed to do Mm -hmm. something else. and, And I thank you for that. And I think that's so important. Yeah, well, thank you for having this platform and sharing it with me. Yeah, I, I do feel like, you know, there's there's a lot to it, of, of course, and that is a piece of it. It's like, you know, if you lose someone over there, for instance, right, a lot of times you may feel guilty because you weren't the one that that um, lost their lives or gave the ultimate sacrifice or was wounded or all that stuff. You, you have these, I wish I would have done this or I wish I could have done those types of thoughts. Or you're just like, you don't feel there's that structure with the military, right? There's the brotherhood and feeling close and camaraderie and all these other things that you can feel. So it's just a lot of different emotions that goes into it. And then when you get home, it's like, dang, no one understands this, right? No one's going to get this. You know, I can't talk to them about it, especially some trauma happened. You know, you're like, I don't want to put this on my family. You know, you start to have these feelings like, oh, I'm a burden and all those. And I'm here to say, like, it's the exact opposite for anyone who's listening. Like the family, the friends, they want to be there for you, but they can't be there if you're not allowing yourself to be vulnerable. You know, we have to understand that vulnerability is strength and we have to leverage that. You know, the strongest thing you can do is talk about it. So I love this idea of vulnerability as strength. And like, as Mark and I very often do, we're going to use that as a jumping off point for a little bit later in the conversation. But I, 
in many ways, your military service and coming home and, and dealing with the PTSD piece was kind of act two for you. Act one took place, right? And as you and I chatted about, you know, growing up in Rochester, New York, as a young black man, you you had your own set of challenges, socioeconomic challenges, as well as mental health related challenges that then led to some things that happened in your teenage years. And so I'd love to hear more about that and how that shaped who you became. And as you moved into the military, kind of the lessons that you learned in the military that you were able to now put towards where what you're doing today. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's a great, great question. So growing up in Rochester, New York, I actually grew up in a polygamous household, which means that my mother was wife number two, right? Which means she wasn't legally married, right? So there's a lot there. We grew up on food stamps early in my life. Uh, We grew up, you know, government assistance, all those things in the household, you know, it's it's dysfunctional. (laughs) I have my sisters, you know, I have my brother, we're we're losing lights, getting turned off, using kerosene lamps, all these different things. And eventually, as I grew older, I just got tired of it. Like, why do we have to be poor? Why do we have no money? Why do we, you know, have two pairs of sneakers for the year and a couple pairs of jeans and shirts? Like, why can't I be like those other kids in high school? And when you have that, and you always hear like through music, through TV, whatever you see, money equals value, right? So, me coming up, I'm like, okay, some value list. No one really cares about me. No one cares if I live or die or anything. Uh, so it was just a real struggle. And then seeing my mother, I'm like, why is she settling? Like, why does she want to be wife too? I thought she's this great woman. So you just have all these things going in, in your mind. And then as I got older, I was like, you know what? F this. That's not going to be me. Like, I'm going to do what I had to do. And as a teenager, I got in trouble for assault and robbery. Right. Uh, just trying to make a way because you also don't see the options. Rochester, New York is is not the best place to grow up. You know, you don't see any opportunities. You don't hear of anyone great making it, so to speak, you know, any success, you know, stories, all those other things. So it's like, OK, who do I look up to? Right? Who do I have? And when you don't have that solid father figure as a young man, like, OK, how do I learn how to be a man? Um, so you just it's really the streets that raise you. Mm-hmm. One sure. question I had, and I really want to hear more sure. is, so you were talking about brothers and sisters. I'm guessing some of those brothers and sisters were from different mothers, but same uh, father or same mother, different, different, uh, different fathers. Okay. Yeah. And what was, what was the challenge of that? Like growing up in your household, did you all see each other as one single family or were mm-hmm. there, were there challenges well, I think the the biggest challenge of it all, well, we're we're just about all three to five years apart, right? And do you have that? I'm the middle. So you child have the full the on Brady Bunch situation. Yeah, where, we like, have the Brady Bunch going on. <laughs> <laughs> the the hood Brady Bunch. <laughs> you can say that. I was like, I was like, I could try to make some joke, but I would probably just end up stepping in something terrible. But I was like, no, you're, you're not good, the Brady. Like, what's what's the what was the what was that awful Eddie Murphy movie where he like played every character? It was like. Were they the clumps? Oh, the clumps. Not coming to America, we no, played no, most no, no. of the I, I love Eddie. No. I'm not. I, I won't harsh on Eddie at all because I think yeah. he's brilliant. But that movie sucked. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, it, but the the challenge really was. Um, so 
it, it was more so the family dynamic, right? We didn't know how to be a family. Like, you know, as I said, my mom is working, you know, we come home from school, we, we call her like, hey, mom, what's there to eat? You know, something like that. I um, mean, it's not much, right? So she'd be like, hey, make a sandwich, do this, whatever the case, there's some leftovers, whatever. But through that also learned a lot of lessons about resiliency, you know, not even complaining about your circumstances and, and like just figuring out how to make things better. Of course, as I was younger, as I told you, I made the wrong choice in trying to make things better by getting getting in trouble. So at the age of 17, I faced seven years in prison. But that was another lesson. You mentioned Act 2, Act 1. And being in that jail cell awaiting trial, awaiting the, the system to decide my fate, you know, becoming another statistic, unfortunately, it, it gave me some time to think about a lot of things. You know, I was in there for, I think, maybe a month or so, month and a half as I kept going to court. I'm like, one of these days, they're going to tell me I got to do this time. Until my mom and my sister came to visit me one day. And that's when I started realizing my value. Because my mother told me, like, I, I'm going to put up the house so you can get a lawyer. You can't do a public defender. Like, you're going to do that. You're going to have to do time if you do that. So she went, put the house up, and got me a, a actual lawyer. Now, if you think about that, that meant that the same house that she was living in and my sisters and my brother were living in, she could have lost it if if anything went wrong. She could have lost that house and they would have all been out. Right. So if that's not an awakening call for me, then I don't know what is. No, but Javon, I got to give you credit because many 17 year olds would not have put those two things together. They wouldn't. Right. And, right. you know, I, I think, think there's going to be a long list of reasons why we're sitting here talking to a very different Javon today. But that understanding of the responsibility that came along with what you had done and what and what it was about to put your family situation in, there aren't a lot of 17 year olds making that leap. So that's a big credit to you and right. to your mom and that family dynamic, because no matter how different or, you know, a struggle as it might have been at time, you had been taught some things. You Absolutely. would you would learn some life lessons already. And and there are plenty of 17 year olds kicking around right now who haven't learned one of those lessons. I've talked to. Yes. Them. Yeah. Yeah. I talked I talk to them, too. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of them on the other side of that glass. Right. Because they didn't didn't get that opportunity or they didn't let learn. But I learned because. I was always someone who had insight um, and I just didn't put it together soon enough. Right. Because, again, I was trying to make a change and they were everything to me. My family was and still is everything to me. So putting them in that situation and seeing my mom, and my sister, seeing them in weary and tired and just letting looking so drained. I had never seen them like that, no matter what we had gone through. So I knew that it was on me and I knew I couldn't do anything at that point. It was up to God. So that was actually the first time I went up to my, my cell that same night and I just prayed. I said words in my own way for the first time in my life at that point. Um, and I just pray like, man, if you give me another chance, I don't know what I will do, but I promise I'm a, it's going to be different for me. I'm not going to do that type of stuff anymore. Um, I want to be different. And I know if you get me out that I'm supposed to do something, right? Even if it's just go to school and, and just change my life, I'm supposed to do something. And that's lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, you know, I, I was out. They let me free, put me on probation, and then I just, you know, I had another shot. And then I uh, finished high school and, and went on to, to struggle for a while until I went to the military at 22. <laughs> yeah, no, it's an incredible story. And and taking you back to the, the jail cell that night, was that yeah. 
Do you think that was really the first time in your life, even though you were speaking those words internally, that you had found your own voice and yes. and your own power? Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Uh, and that's a great point. It's like that moment. And that's why I say, you know, things happen for a reason. You may not know the reason at that time. And it, it may be to serve someone else, but that happened for a reason, me ending up in that jail cell. Then I really feel like God was telling me, like, listen, this isn't the path I want you to take or you're supposed to take. You know, so getting on my knees and, and submitting and just going deep in my heart, being vulnerable for the first time in my life. That was my lesson that I learned. Like, hey, that that actually works. <laughs> right? It actually works. It's so true. And it's so often the case that that vulnerability doesn't come out to save yourself. It's mm -hmm. when you put someone that you love on the line, right? We've had so many yes. people who, whether it was suicidal ideation, addiction, whatever it is, they couldn't do it to care for themselves, but you saw what you were doing for your family and you were like, nah, I can't do that. Absolutely. And that ties into uh, later on that after in 2017, when I came home, when I started feeling that I had suicidal ideations, luckily, you know, I didn't do it as so many, you know, unfortunately, so many vets passed from that. But I called my sister at that time, right at that moment, same one that visited me in the in jail cell. And I and I was telling her, I was just letting her know, like, I don't know if I could do this. And and again, that vulnerability helped me. You um, reached, out, you reached out to her. You reached out right. to her. Right. I reached out and, and she said two words. She said, get help, which gave me agency and gave me license. Like, hey, you don't have to be Superman. Right. The strongest thing you can do is to get help and talk about it. And I had to lean on that again. So that that got me into the therapy and getting my own coach. And that's why I'm here today talking to you. Right. Uh, because of two really pivot points in my life. Um, it could have went a completely different way, but the, but it. I'm here. <laughs> and well, I'm, I'm glad and we're did. so big, very glad you're yeah, here. Yeah, very thankful. And big shout outs to your mom yeah. and your sister. Yes, Damn. absolutely. And, and we know what that other outcome can be. I think all three of us, you know, woke up yesterday and read the news that, you know, Twitch, uh, yeah. unfortunately, wasn't able to you know, find a way through. And unfortunately, he is no longer with us. And and I think yeah. that gets to to a larger point of, you know, it doesn't matter from a socioeconomic standpoint, from where you are, you know, whether, you know, you're living in poverty or you're living with excess, excessive money, or you're in the public eye, or you're just, you know, somebody who's going about your day, this, this impacts everybody. And as you were saying, Javon, you know, the importance of getting vulnerable and, and speaking up and speaking out is often that very important first step and makes it so easy, more easier to then you know have those conversations and and to come back to what you had said before about vulnerability and vulnerability being a strength. I talk about vulnerability for me being a superpower because each time I get vulnerable, I feel a bit better. And every time I feel better, I feel stronger. Uh, right. And so the more I can become vulnerable, then the more of a superpower it has. So if you want, if, I'd love to hear more about you know, how vulnerability for you has been such an important tool, both in, you know, going back to school, get, getting your degrees and, and becoming who you are now. Absolutely. You know, in my book, On Your Kingdom, I talk about this a lot. Uh, the, the, the vulnerability is a strength, right? And vulnerability is, is really allows you to one, be authentic, 
be your authentic self and not worry so much about what people think, which is what holds a lot of folks back from getting the help or being that person that you were actually designed to be. Vulnerability is something that allows you to take time to ask for help, to, to dig deeper within yourself too, because a lot of us aren't vulnerable with ourselves. We, we don't want to see the ugly, right? We only want yeah. to put on this facade. So vulnerability allows you to look in the mirror and say, you know what? You need to get help. It says you're not doing what you, you want to do or set out to do or said you were going to do. It calls you out, man. And it's something that calls you out for the good. It's not about bashing yourself. It's about really finding ways to uplift you and to uplift others. Um, and sharing my story has been one of the greatest things that it has allowed me to do because I get people in my DM saying, hey, you know what? I needed to hear this today, right? This is me. You know, how did you get through? I get on calls with random folks and just, you know, talk to them about it, you know, and there's people that that they say, you know, you saved my life because you shared your story. I was going to something like that. So vulnerability, not just only for you, but also it helps other people that you wouldn't even know um, that you're helping. And I think that is really the key. It's, it's really about allowing you to find your tribe of support, your supporters. Um, I always talk about this 360 degrees of support. Well, you won't find that and you won't have that if you're not vulnerable. Right. Because how does someone know they need that you need them or you want someone to be there? They don't know what's going on. Right. It's just like it's a wall. Right. And that facade is going to come crashing down in a big way if you try to carry that for so long that you feel like it's a permanent thing. And that's the thing that happens. Right. When when we get to that point of suicidal ideations, when we get to the point where we just feel like we're in this abyss that we can't reach ourselves back out of, it's really because we thought we had to hold on. We thought we were a burden. We thought we did all these other things. Everyone will be better without us. Well, that comes from a, a, a mind state of permanence, right? And that permanence feeling like it'll never get better. My circumstances will never change. Well, if you talk to people who have attempted suicide, who failed, a lot of them will say they regretted ever trying it. But that's the thing. They realized that that was a permanent solution to a temporary thing. Right. And a lot of us, we don't get that opportunity or we wish we could have talked to someone, you know, that that was going through that. You you never know. People smile. People are happy, go lucky. And the next thing you know, they're gone. So I just challenge anyone who's listening to this to really dig deep and be vulnerable with yourself to say like, hey, I, I just haven't been feeling right for a couple of weeks or a couple of days, whatever. You know, as humans, yes, we have normalcy about feeling down. You know, we're not always going to be up. But you will know if you're depressed, right? It's going to feel a lot different than just being down, just having an off day or whatever it is. It's going to go on for a while. And you may know that you have patterns, right? You may notice if you really pay attention to yourself that there's a pattern to, to when you're feeling down or maybe there's a trigger. We really have to start paying attention to us. That's why one of the things I recommend for people to do, everyone, is take some time with yourself. You know, really, really give yourself time to just... Breathe, relax, close your eyes, no tech, no nothing, no distractions, no notifications going off, no nothing. Get in a space where you can really get to know yourself so you can start paying attention to what your baseline is. So you can start to say, you know, I just haven't been feeling right. I know this has been a month and I can't seem to get out of this feeling. You know, I haven't talked to anyone. Maybe I should. And just having those conversations, that dialogue with you. You speak so beautifully to that. And I had a question forever ago and I didn't want to interrupt that train because it was beautiful. Yes. And now I have like three, but I'm going to go all the way. I'm going to go back to the first one. 
you spoke okay. so wonderfully about how vulnerability was power for yourself. And then you made a very casual statement, which was very true. And that's why I want to ask the question about how being vulnerable then can, and I'm going to paraphrase this poorly, but you essentially said like, can empower others to do it or can give them permission. And Absolutely. the way you said that was so knowing that I'm guessing you've either had a really strong experience with this or you've seen this over and over again. So I'd love to just hear a little bit more about how you being vulnerable, you've seen that impact in, in allowing others to be able to. Absolutely. And I, I've seen it in a number of ways, right? A lot of people, when I first started in business, they were, you know, a lot of folks, you know, they would say, why are you, why are you telling people that you face seven years in prison? Or why are you telling people you've gone through uh, PTSD and depression? And for me, I said, you know what, if my business doesn't get off the ground because I said that, that's fine with me because I want to help people on a level that this surface level stuff that we see is not going to help. It's not going to show. I want people to show that it's not where you started or it's not your mistakes. It's not your failures. It's not your mental health issues. It's not any of that. That is not you. It's a part of your story, but it doesn't define you. Right. We still have agency over ourselves. And I think that's very important. And it's so taboo still for us to talk about, you know, our failures, our shortcomings, our mental health issues, our ailments, when I think that needs to be put to the forefront, which is why I lead with all of that. Right? I want people to see me for me. I don't want them to see perfection. I want them to see that I am human. I made mistakes, but yet here I am still talking to you. Right. You have the power to change and change is beautiful. Change is a beautiful thing, and a lot of people fear it because of the unknown, but guess what? <laughs> it is necessary for growth, getting out of your comfort zone. And when I first told my story, yeah, I was like, you know what? Maybe I should. I thought about that. But then I realized when people were hitting me up, messaging me, or my own clients would come to me and say, you know what? I needed to hear that. That's actually what made me want to work with you because I'm going through something similar, because I couldn't get out of my own way, because I was stuck in the past, all these different things. So I know from experience, like, you know, this is something that we need more of. Uh, being vulnerable, sharing your story, it, it just helps tremendously. And it's not about, for me, it's, it's not about anyone wanting to work with me. It's not about any of that. It's just me wanting to share my story and legitimately help the next person who is suffering in silence. The thing that I love about it too, is there is power not only in speaking it but you know it's like how do you help other people overcome if they don't know or think that you have right there there's this mm -hmm. you know there's this sort of like weird you know thing where it's like you know and, and i think of it you know i'm such a big sports and music geek it's like I wouldn't want a guitar teacher who's never performed <laughs> to teach me. I, I, I don't, I don't want to learn how to hit a baseball from someone who's not hit a baseball at a decent level. Now I'm not saying they have to be the best of the best. I know teaching and being great at something isn't the same, but there's mm -hmm. something intrinsic about like, I've, I've walked this path. I've been through this, you know, and, and I'm wondering too, you know, you check a bunch of, of these sort of like boxes of like, Hey, like, is there another African-American guy out there who, you know, served in the military, you know, did a little bit of time. And then like, you know what, I went and got two degrees and started my own business, you know? And, and I love it too. Cause there's this thing sometimes that I think people, 
we don't want to be victims, right? We don't. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to hear about victimization. And right. the way you speak about it, it doesn't sound like that. And I think that is so important too, because it's one thing to be like, poor me. Right. It's a whole other yeah. thing to be like, hey, this is what I overcame. This, you know, and this is, and you know, it's not, you know, poor me, all of these roadblocks were put in my way. It said, no, man, I had lessons to learn and I learned them. Then that's it. That's it. And this is like, I love how you just said that, Mark. That's what it's about. Uh, just looking at embracing the journey. Um, like I was saying earlier, it's like a lot of us, you know, especially now we live in this instant gratification society. We live in this this society where, you know, everyone has their their sob story that they're telling, you know, people who've you know never experienced any poverty or anything in their life. They always want to tell, hey, I grew up in this thing. Just just be you. Right. And to me, there's a, a thing about authenticity and accountability. Right. And I think that those two things are are key. Um, and I lead with those wholeheartedly. You will never hear me complaining. That's obvious, my friend. Com- that yeah. is obvious. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yes. you. Because I'm I'm a I'm a solution oriented. I'll say if I have an issue, how can I how can I solve it? Or how can I take some action to change my circumstances? Right? It's not on anyone else to do it if I'm not willing to put in the work or put in the time to do it myself. And that's how I've always looked at it. I've always looked at it as you know, growing up in poverty, you can't change some of that stuff, right? I only focus on what I can control. And I feel like that is what helps me alleviate stress or feel a little better about things uh, to keep a calm head when when things are on fire, so to speak, because I focus on what I can control. And I'm, I'm a firm believer in slowing down, right? I'm not going to just go and react on, on something, even when I was in poverty and all that other stuff, because I see what that does, right? I made an impulse decision as a youth and it didn't turn out right. So I always challenge people to say, you know, look within, make sure the steps you take align with you, right? Not with what someone else wants you to do, but make sure that you are authentic and you're holding yourself accountable. And in order to do that, you got to know your values, <laughs> know what really matters in life. Right. And you will find chances are it's not money. Right. Because money is a, a construct, but it's what money can get you. So think about what money can get you before you focus so much on this this thing that really has no value. Does the external world drive you a little nuts right now? <laughs> Absolutely. OK, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well, because I, I just I, and I think this came up a few episodes ago and it actually popped up in a conversation today. It's like. It, you know, and I'm just going to paraphrase it because it's the way I think about it. And it's like, you know, I feel crazy right now, but I don't think I'm crazy. I think I am surrounded by some crazy shit and it's making me feel crazy. And so there are times where I have to like kind of turn that lens on of like, okay, take a deep breath. There's nothing I've done here. I'm reacting. You know, Eric laughs sometimes because he'll hear, you know, I make the mistake occasionally of like, you know, with my morning coffee, instead of like playing a stupid game on my iPad or listening to like sports news, I will open up the BBC or the New York Times. And he's like, why? Why do you do that? You know, because yeah. <laughs> I'm the kind of person who can't just like read something and be like, oh, look what blah, blah, blah did today. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> you know, and Eric's like, stop, stop doing that to yourself. You know, that's how you're going to react. Like, and so I just hearing you talk about accountability authenticity 
quiet time, <laughs> being able to understand what a value is and, and understanding that money is not only you know, like, I love the idea of money as a construct, but I, I actually, I try to use the word because I don't want to have to explain to someone what I mean by construct. So I'm just like, money is a means to an end and it doesn't always right. get you where you think you're going, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> like, right. yeah. And it's, right. and, and I've been on all sides of that, except like uber rich, I guess I would put. Yeah. And, <laughs> and and but I, I've seen all of it and 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 up close and personal. And the work that you're doing, I think, is so valuable always, but right now it feels more valuable than ever. And that, and it leads me to one of the other questions. So listening to you talk and and talk about this idea of authenticity, accountability, and this idea, where did this idea of live not loathe sort of germinate and come from? Yeah, uh, live not loathe it represents the transformation that I've gone through and that I take my clients through. Uh, we start off loathing life. We start off loathing our circumstances, which is hating a, a real disdain for what's going on. Right? It's past, you know, just dislike. It's it's really you just abhor it. You don't like it at all. So we find out what you're loathing. And the reason for that, a lot of us don't know the root cause for why we feel the way we feel or why we're doing the things we're doing or why things aren't working for us. So we really do the work to find the root cause and we we dig deep in you, right? It's that intrinsic work. Again, like you can't have a successful life, a successful business if you don't understand yourself. So we really start off with that type of work, you know, and then the live part is taking it from that to realizing you have agency and you have certain things in life you can control. You know, my tagline is control your mindset, control your destiny, right? You control what you do, how you react to situations, how you can put an interrupt between your thought and the situation and your response or reaction. You have two things. You can respond or you can react, right? So we want you to respond. We want you to think about it, be intelligent about it, um, and make sure, again, that it's aligning with the person you want to be right? In, in the life you want to live. Uh, so that's where that whole transformational name comes from. I'd love to hear from you, Javon. We've talked about it on the show and it's something that Mark and I have worked with our own therapist. We share a therapist as our audience is aware. I, well, I also realized I've actually yes. taught a seminar in it. I, somebody yes. the, brought it up the other day. was like, you know, you've taught this. I was like, yeah, I wasn't very good at it, but yeah, I taught it. Um, <laughs> it's And it is this, this, idea which is there it's so layered of this react versus response and then it also gets back to what we were talking and you were talking about just a little bit earlier of the instant gratification in today's society whether mm -hmm. it's you know through technology or or other what does it mean for you the differentiation between a reaction and a response and for someone who's listening what is something that they could do to move from a reaction to a response? Absolutely. Uh, great question. So for me, a reaction is something you don't even realize you've done typically until after you're doing it, right? A reaction is just knee jerk. It's just like instant, right? You haven't taken any moment. There's just soon as something happens, soon as someone says something, someone something does something, you just go and you haven't had a time to process it in your, in your real, your human brain, right? Your primitive brain has done it. <laughs> so it never made it up for you to be able to think about it. And then the response is you being able to take that breath, take that moment, you know, slowing yourself down to say, you know, you know what? 
I'm not going to get upset because people don't make you upset, right? Being upset, being mad is really a, a physical thing, right? You feel yourself tighten up. You feel Come on start now. Sweating, Come on now. Sometimes things, somebody pisses right? you. No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> they, they can't piss you off, but it's up to you. Like, are you going to give them that control is the is the thing. It right? is. Because and a lot of times. I love that. I love the way you said that because it's it's something I struggle with. I've been very open. Too. I've been very open with my struggles. <laughs> Righteous rage, as I like to call it. Yes. <laughs> What yeah, the hell too. did you just do? So what do you, and and you know, you don't have to give away too much of it, but you know, this idea of coaching and understanding, you know, mm-hmm. you get some stubborn bastard like me, like my poor therapist did, and she had to like walk me through this step-by-step, step, like, and she had a great quote, I'll share it. I'm sure you're going to love this one if you haven't heard it before, is getting angry and expecting someone else to change is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. Yeah, right. <laughs> and yep, I was like, exactly. Oh, <laughs> very, very true. But how do you get saying. them to step over that? Like, you know, like over that threshold, because you could you could reason it. Right. But we all do it. You even said it like you have that day. The guy cuts you off. Yeah. The guy gets in front of you in line. You're like, oh, but you got to be yeah. able to take that step back, that breath, the choice. That's where the learning happens. And that's it. A lot of my clients, um, we have to take them somewhere else. Right. Because once you get upset, like if you can uh, visualize or or imagine a place that really calms you, uh, sometimes you just have to go there mentally. Even I, even myself, I'm like, you know what? What the heck were you thinking? Right. And I just had to close my eyes. You know what? Is it you You really have to ask yourself, like, like, is it worth it? Like, why do I even need to go there with this person? One, if I'm in a conversation and I know that the conversation is going nowhere, I am very quick to say, you know what? We can reconvene. Or if I know this person is just stuck on what they want to do, you got to identify that. There's no point in bouncing back and forth. If someone does something that upsets you, right, communicate that if you're in a position to. Uh, communicate it, but make sure I always like to make sure that I have a calm head because if you're upset and that other person's upset, no one's hearing anything, right? I've been there. We've all been there. We get into the argument instead of a conversation. So it's really thinking it's really about becoming not just a rational person, but someone who's, who's not quick to anger, right? It's, it's about becoming someone who's going to take the higher ground. And it's really hard to do a lot of times. But if you can take your take that breath, like I said, being upset is a physical thing. Like if you start recognizing w- what happens when you get upset, where you're starting to get to the point where you're losing control, then you know it's time to step away, remove yourself from that situation. You don't even need to talk anymore. You can just say, hey, listen, I feel myself getting a little agitated. I think we can reconvene. If if you're talking to your spouse, it really works, you know, and, and y'all have to talk about that before you get to that point. Um, that's the really thing is about. It is important. You got to set those ground yeah. rules, right? Because all yeah, of a sudden you, yeah. I used to try to do this all the time without the ground rules. And nope. my wife doesn't listen <laughs> to the podcast. So it's fine for me to share this. But I'd just be like seething angry. I'm like, I'm going to go for a walk. And she's like, where the hell are you going? I'm like, out. Yeah out and inside i'm literally like if i let any of this out it is awful in there and it's and and she's just like but you would just leave and then i had to be there by myself and then finally like 
you know, I'm dumb, stubborn. It took me like a decade. I'd be like, babe, when I'm that mad, like I just, I lash out and it's not fair to you. So I'm going away to try to find a better, I'm trying to find a better version of myself to come back to. It's it's all about that boundaries. You have to set those boundaries. Like no matter where you are, like you have to set the boundaries. You have to set the precedence. Right. Um, And it's really, it's very helpful for relationships. Like that's where a lot of relationships fail is you don't talk about it before you get to that point. One person wants to talk about it right then and there. The other person needs time to process. Right. And if you don't set those boundaries and say, listen, I just sometimes I need 10 minutes. You know, we can set a time like it can't go past an hour or whatever you want to say. If you talk about that and you set that, then the other person just be like, you know what? I understand. And I know I'm this person. I can be pushy or whatever. Right. Again, being your authentic and, and holding yourself accountable for the part you play. Um, and not being accusatory in anything, which is another key, right? A lot of times we use accusatory language, which really, really is harmful to an effective communication uh, because once the person does that, you, now you have them on the defensive, right? So it's a lot about really working on uh, communication skills is, is really the key to that. Um, and it'll help you understand yourself better, right? Am I reacting or am I responding? And it will save you a lot of heartache and heartbreak if you can get to the point where you're putting that interrupt, which is taking your breath, saying, hey, can I take a moment to just, you know, gather my thoughts or I need to process whatever the case may be. And it even works at work. Like I'm the type of person, I'll hear some things and I'll be like, you know what? I was just about to hit the unmute button to, to say <laughs> to say something, but I have to think about it. And then I would just, after I do it and, and put it and formulate it in a way that's not bad way, because I know I can be uh, brash sometimes, I'll unmute and I'll say, hey, you know, you said something a little while back, right, that I just wanted to address. So you can do that. You can use those types of things, right? Just slow it down. Slow yourself down. It doesn't have to be immediate. And you're not always going to get it right. Right. But like you said, Mark, sometimes if you don't do that, you got to think about what those consequences may be. Right. You may ruin your relationship because you said something that just was so far off the rails that now you've eroded the trust with whoever it was. Now you've uh, belittled the person to the point where they don't feel safe anymore, whatever the case may be. So you really have to think about it. Like, is it is it worth me getting my point across to that level and in that way? Um, So that's that's really the important points. Well, and you know, as I was listening to to you speak, Javon, and as you were talking about your controlling the things you can control, right, and then mm-hmm. taking that time to respond versus react, and and I can't help but think of something that's come about, you know, as we've grown up. Uh, it wasn't around when we were younger, and and it's road rage. They they actually have coined a term. There are signs. There are numbers to call. And, and at its very core, we're just people driving a car from place A to B. And at some point, people have decided, I'm not going to respond to anything. Anything I do within this armor-plated covered vehicle is going to be a reaction. And I, and I find it very interesting and and in many ways it reflects our society and how we do the same thing behind a keyboard exactly and where what we don't see is we never see signs of hiking rage <laughs> walking rage um where y- yes we do i've seen it i have 
And, 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 and I think, and the reason why I'm saying this, Eric, is I think it comes from the same thing, you know, road rage, essentially, you know, it often is stress and frustration. And during COVID, all of a sudden there are tons more people walking places, hiking places, you know, you would hear people talking about, Oh, this used to be my favorite hike. And, but now I can't even get up the trail because there's so many people walking back at odd times. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is a function of that, like, you know, how much, right. You know, the roads are busier and busier traffic's more and more all the time. And I wonder, cause I, you know, you're absolutely right. Like as kids, like I remember, you know, my mom or dad being like, Oh, that guy ran a stop sign or like, whatever. But like full on road rage incidents, like you didn't hear about that stuff. That's why we didn't say you went driving, you went postal. We heard about that shit at the post office, (laughs) right? But I think, but I I think one of the, yeah, but I think one of the different, and and that's where I wanted to go with this. Well, I think one of the differences is what you were talking about, Javon, is this idea of communication. And when we're in a car or we're behind a keyboard, there is no communication, right? There's we're in one space, somebody else is in another space, and we're just reacting. And then one reaction garners a reaction from somebody else and it begins to escalate. But when we are outside of those and we, we come to face to face with somebody, even, even if somebody, and and I do find it hard to believe as a mountain biker, that somebody would get annoyed that somebody else is using public space, right? It belongs to all of us. But in that moment, we're face to face with somebody. And so the reaction goes, I think, to more of a response. If one party escalates something where they're looking at each other and thinking, is this, is this really worth it? Is this, is this where we want to go? And we can have that conversation. And oftentimes I've found that conversation will then lead to, you know, discovering something else about that person that you might not have known beforehand. And it might've just been a rough day or a rough morning for that person, but we don't get that opportunity a lot of times in today's society. Mm. That, and that's very true. And one of the things I, I w- would like people to do when we are face to face more is, you know, just genuinely, you know, a lot of people don't even say hello anymore. Right. So I, I, I just feel like we are we have lost the art of communication at all. And it's sad because humans are social creatures, right? This is how it's been since the dawn of time. We're supposed to communicate, supposed to form for relationships and communities and all these other things, but it has become exponentially harder because of people are always behind these devices, right? We're always staring at a screen. We don't really work on communication anymore. So when I say, you know, I make it a point to say hello, if I walk past someone, people really look taken aback, you know, and you're talking about a guy from Rochester, New York, where we don't usually do that. People (laughs) are like, wait, wait, did they just, did he just say hello? And how are you? And genuinely mean it. Like if someone says, if I say, hey, how are you? And they say, oh, I'm okay. I always say, why just okay? You know, and people are like, what? What do you mean? Why just okay? You said okay. You didn't say good. You didn't say great. You said okay. What does that mean? You know, and, and that has, you know, started uh, like people, people have told me like, you know what? I, I look for you. Like if I'm in a common space, like I have this shared office space, you know, and I'll, I'll literally walk around and ask people how they're doing. And people have started to come look for me because it's so out of the norm for what happens these days that we're always on these screens. We're texting. There's no emotion really that you can feel behind it that now people are are looking for that little bit, that piece they get in person. Right. So that that's your key. And also when you're in those types of situations face to face. 
a lot of people are going to look like, you know what, this is uh, this isn't in my character. Right. People have whole personas when they're on on uh, the computer, when they're driving. Right. They have these different egos and, and personalities and all these. Unless you're like things, me, so. I freak people out because I'm the same all the time. That's great. <laughs> I wish. I wish. But there's this protection like you were talking about, Eric. There's this this feeling of, of protection. And albeit a lot of times it may be artificial, <laughs> but there's this yeah. idea of, of protection. And I think that uh, you made a, a valid point with that. Right. When you're face to face with someone. And you're, you know, as humans, we're automatically going to go through our checks, like the safety check and all that other stuff that our minds do. And we're like, I'm hiking on this trail with a cliff right here. And there's this person. Do I really want to uh, get in a scuffle on this? Right. So you you go through those things. And I, I think it, we just need to do that more. Right. To In order to go through that response versus reaction thing. We just need to go through those checks again. Do I really want to argue with my wife about this? Right. And then have to sleep on the couch. Right? Do, I, <laughs> do I really want to, you know, so just yeah. go through and look, use that type of thing in, in situations. Sometimes <laughs> there's a hill I'm ready to die on man it just happens. <laughs> no i mean it's like well and look and eric will tell you this i am uh i am really good at saying it with either a smile or with like a little bit of humor but yeah i i i am really good at just being like you're being a shit right now and i don't like it <laughs> but yeah, unfortunately yeah, yeah. you know if you don't have that sort of boundary set up in those things and and it's actually funny you know to you know talk about you know vulnerability and transparency sometimes people who even know my wife decently well will be a little taken aback because they're like wow you guys just go for it and i was like yeah because i trust her she trusts me and she just pissed me off and I, and she yeah. knows that i'm gonna tell her and yeah right. we might have a fight about it and then we might have a conversation later but we are going to sort this out. Like, I'm just not going to get mad and like go sit in the room and, and, you know, 10 years from now be sitting across a marriage counselor and be like, you know, it all started that one day when she said something and I couldn't say something back. I'm like, I will not be guilty of that. And neither will she, you know, and, right. and, and it's not, it's not perfect. And it's exactly what you said. Like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It won't be the right thing every time, but right. if you're making that attempt and, 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 and if you think about it, you know, what relationship in your life couldn't be improved by that of, you know, some authenticity, some transparency, some vulnerability and some boundaries all like exactly. all together and, and not just one of them. Like you can't just exactly. be all vulnerable all the time. The next thing you know, your wife's going to be like, <laughs> hey, I actually need you to just take the car and put some gas in it. I need you like this weepy mess thing. I can't have this right now, you know, like <laughs> yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. So it is this like balance. And I think. And man, I don't know, um, but you know, growing up as a dude, like we were not taught that. Like we just weren't. No, no, exactly, absolutely, and that's that's why it's important that we're talking on this platform right now, and it, because you know, when when people think of a, a man, they don't think about vulnerability, right? They don't think about that. They think of this bravado, right? The machismo and all these other things, you know, and I think that, you know, a lot of that is is overcompensating for some things, right? I will be oh, yeah. the first to say that, right? So I believe that the true person, and we talked about it over and over again, is authentic, is themselves, they're transparent, they're going to keep it real, right? They're going to keep it honest. And, and when we talk about these conversations and arguments on 
and all this stuff. Like, again, it, it goes to what matters to you. Of course, every we all have the, the hill we're willing to die on because we believe it, right? That's what that ties into your values and you as a person, right? So it's good to have that stuff, but it, it really ties into how we're communicating it all once again. In humans, we don't always communicate verbally, right? A lot of our communication is nonverbal. So we also have to take a look at that too. Like, you know, your wife, you, if you don't say something, you might be like, you know, and you didn't say anything, but she can oh, pick no, up no. on that. Eric, right? <laughs> when is everyone scared? When is everyone scared? When you're, you're quiet. quiet. <laughs> exactly. Yes, when Mark right. is quiet. Yeah, because yeah. that and, and means that's it. there are a hundred things going through my head and I can't say or no, I shouldn't or don't want to say any of them. And that, Absolutely. I was thinking about, I, I'm a huge Dave Chappelle fan. I remember at the old Dave Chappelle show, we had this sketch called, and that's when shit began to get real. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like people playing on my phone. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and Dave, it's a great man. sketch, but and one of the things that's wonderful about him as a comedian is it's this thin, razor-sharp slice of what it means to be human. Like, yeah, man, like it, that's going to happen. And, and he has matured in so many different ways. And, you know, listening to him now as a longtime husband and, and father and, and, you know, cultural figure who's, he's not comfortable with it. He's like, I, he's like, man, you know, I smoke cigarettes and tell jokes. Like, don't take advice from me, <laughs> you know, like, but there's a beauty in that of like, yeah, that's, that's who he is, you know? And I think, you know, if there was more, if we could have more of that, on a day-to-day basis versus this idea of isolation, talking through a box, yelling at someone from inside your car, Mm -hmm. man, I can't help but think we'd be in a lot better place overall. Well, and again, it goes back to one, that support, and it goes back to the vulnerability, like being willing, like a lot of times when you said someone was having a bad day, they've been having a bad day for a while, typically, right? Um, And they just haven't been vulnerable. They haven't talked about it. They haven't let it out, whatever it is they're holding on to. And it just happens to explode at uh, the most inopportune times. And now people's lives get ruined because of that moment. Again, that impulse, because they just decided, you know what, I've had enough of whatever it is. And that's why we have to be vulnerable. We can't just pick and choose when we're good. We need to have that support system. We have to have those people. We need to have the therapist, the coach, whoever it is, and just talk, right? Talk about it. Legitimately talk about it, you know? So one you know, one of the great things, having this conversation, and the three of us, we have gotten to that place in our lives where we are able to have those conversations, right? We're able to get be vulnerable and be vulnerable in different settings and and, and with different people. But Javon, one one of the really interesting things and in, in where I want to kind of take the conversation as we talk about what's happening in society from many different perspectives. And and there's the issue around accessibility and affordability for mental health care. And and you growing up, you know, in Rochester, a young black man, poverty, right? You saw you saw it firsthand what it's like in those communities. And we read about the statistics, we talk about it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's we we need to get real about talking about how there is a gap in the access, accessibility and affordability of of healthcare for non-white communities. I, I, I'm going to kind of pitch it over to you 
to kind of get that conversation started. But I think it's one that's really important for us to have. And we need to lift the veil and the stigma away of people thinking that everyone here is on a level playing field when it comes to being able to treat their own mental health issues, because that, in fact, is not true. Absolutely. And I'm glad we're having this conversation because if you think about it, the disparity across healthcare as a whole versus non-white for non-white folks is is just terrible. Um, If you think about it, black women have one of the highest, the highest mortality rate when it comes to giving births. Right. So in, in when it comes to mental health. There is one education, right, on where to get it. A lot of people, they would love to have therapists, but they don't even know how to go about doing it. Um, the coverage doesn't cover it because you have the lowest, you know, healthcare plan. So it doesn't cover any of that. Then when you talk about, you know, even though there are some therapists that give pro bono, it's very few, right? Because it's, as a therapist, it's taxing your energy, right? That you're giving. So, you know, it's just, you can only take so many pro bono clients. Uh, it's just, even, I I do that as a coach and I know that it's really taxing. So there's there's so many different barriers and obstacles that are in place. And sadly, even though America is considered a superpower, we have some of the worst mental health care. Um, we see it even um, if you think about homelessness in the in our communities, in the black community or, or uh, minority communities, that's uh, really stemming from a lot of the mental health issues being unaddressed. So there's there's so many different things that we can look at, so many different cues, even without looking at a statistic. You can really walk through the neighborhood and you can see where it comes to play, right? And you see the crime rates, they're very high. And when these people get put in jail, a lot of them, they should be in mental health institutions. They have schizophrenia. They have, you know, psychological disorders. They have bipolar disorder. They have all these different things, but it was only diagnosed too late. You know, after they committed the crime or did these things, now they have to go serve this time in a place that's not equipped to handle it. Right. And then it's just a vicious cycle. A lot of these things may be hereditary. Right. You have someone in your family who had this thing um, and now it's passed down in the gene. Like it's so much going there. And then not to mention the trauma that's compounded with the mental health issues. So how do you handle that? You have this one thing that you never address. And now you have these mental health ailments that's put on top of that, it's it's really it's it's really out of hand. And the only way to to address it has to it has to be a focused effort. It's not going to be one person, it's not even going to be one community that changes this, right? And it's not going to happen in one generation because you're talking about decades and centuries really of of this being the case. So um they, yeah, I'm glad we're talking about this. Yeah. Um there's there's really it's going to take a really concerted effort to change that at any level. Well, and you spoke to this briefly and and I'm not saying this to any way undermine or belittle the idea that there is less resources as it is, but mm. one of the things you talked about that I think is also important is that there doesn't even seem to be whether it's cultural, socioeconomic, whatever it is, an awareness or an understanding that there are even resources, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, the resources themselves are already limited. And then, you know, and, and I'll be honest, you know, growing up where I grew up, it was difficult even to bring this kind of stuff up. Like, you know, I mean, Eric loves to talk about the stigmas upon the stigmas upon the stigmas. And, and I wonder how much too, as we are beginning, only beginning, to see more resources being and more awareness to this, you know, 
obviously, I do think this is an important step, the three of us having this conversation, putting this out to the world. If you had to think about going back to where you grew up, you know, what what would your advice be to, you know, the movers and shakers, whether it's politicians, other therapists, like, how do we even get people to realize the resources that could be available to them? Well, you have to go for the culture first. Um, and that's why it's important for us to have this conversation and celebrities to come out and all these other things, because, again, it's going to take that type of effort for people to say, you know what? It's cool for me to talk about this. Right. It's cool for me to say, hey, I'm not feeling well. or I'm not OK. So I, it's really seeing that. Right. A lot of people, all they get educated through these days is these screens. So the screens need to show that and reflect that their their distant idols and and, and people they look up to and mentors need to reflect that. And there's going to be a trickle down effect. That's why I'm saying it's not going to be easy because that's a cultural shift. Right. The culture has always been, especially for men, has always been like, hey, you good. Suck it up. Right. Go do what you have to do. Right. You don't have time to do that. Right. I'll sleep when I die or I'll go through. I'm, I'm good. I don't feel no pain. All these different things. Right. And you have to change that. So it's not taboo to talk about and go tell your your homeboy. Hey, I'm, I'm not OK. Right. I need help. I need someone to talk to. I need support. Right. Um, and also those types of things need to be presented when you talk about the resources. They have to be presented. Like we don't in, in the black community, like the men, we rarely go to the hospital. Right. We rarely go to the hospital for anything, right? We'll have a broken bone sticking out our hand and we'll be like, ah, at a hill, because that's the culture. I, so, I, and, I have a I have a black friend who once told me, he's like, I've been brought to the hospital. That's what he said. And I looked at him and was like, well, okay. Yeah. That is a very different attitude towards healthcare than I have, yeah, you know? Absolutely. And he was like, he's like, yeah, he's like, I, it, you know, I was either knocked out or to the point where I couldn't. It's somebody he's like, I was never like, well, I should go see a doctor for this. That right. like, we, we, I just didn't do that. Right. Well, then there's a number of reasons. One, again, poverty. Like you're like, cost, oh, what's going to yeah. cost? Yeah. For me to go in here. <laughs> right? Am I going to get the care? That Am I, I going to get the slash care? Deserve slash right. time. You know, you're sitting there for hours with no one paying attention to you. There's just so many different things. And again, the education is like. All right, what is that going to do for me? Here I am struggling, and you want me to go sit down with someone that I don't even know and talk about what's going on, right? What are they going to do for me? And you have that type of mentality, and that's the thing. So there's it's, it's, it's a lot that has to change, but we are just now, like you said, it's starting to, to take that on and in, in a big way, you know, in a big way. Uh, there's now organizations for just that, like getting the word out. But there's there's a lot that just the everyday person needs to do. Right. It starts with one person, starts with you first and then you spread out, you know, and then you start talking to your circle. And next thing you know, like it starts making that dent. But it's going to take it's going to take a lot of work. I like and, that because you said it yeah. earlier. You're like, you know, just telling your homeboy you don't feel right or. I mean, let's, you know, let's push it next level, you know, check with them. How are you when you see them? And you're Absolutely. like, I don't, you know, and I loved your description of that earlier of, of being willing to make people uncomfortable with your earnest ask. We're big fans of that. And this is the kind of thing that I like to do too. And let's, so the three of us, let's say we're walking through the inner city in Houston. I'm just going to pull Houston because you're living in Houston. So mm -hmm. three of us and we gather a whole bunch of people together and, and we sit in one of the local parks and what is that? What does that conversation sound like? 
both from the standpoint of what are we hearing from the people in that community, the kids that are growing up in that community who are struggling and who don't know where to turn. And what does it sound like from our perspective of, hey, this is the change that we can start to, the lasting change that we can start to make? Like, what is that? I'm really curious. I'm envisioning it. Like, what does that look like? Yeah. And I think from the that kid's perspective, it would be one, nobody cares about us. Two, when people come into the community, they don't stay long, right? They come in here, say what they got to say, did their little spill, and I don't see them again, right? And then three is who's paying for this, right? Four, how am I going to get to wherever you're saying the resources are? I don't have a computer. I don't have transportation, right? I have to walk everywhere, whatever the case may be. And then another thing is why are you here? Right. <laughs> like, okay, what, what, what makes you different? Right. Yeah. What the hell are you getting out of this? Are yeah. you going to be here yeah. tomorrow? Yeah. yeah. Very, well, yeah and, very and I wonder, and I wonder, Eric, you know, like, and, and I'm not saying that we can't do things like that, but, you know, listening to Javon and thinking about how I think of like cultural change, it, it happens one-to-one, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's almost like we have to like go into that community and not talk to everybody, but find that lever, find that person mm-hmm who can talk to three other people. And you know what I mean? Like that's like, cause I think about it. I had the same reaction, full transparency, seven years old. My parents brought me to see, I ended up seeing a panel of psychiatrists and doctors. And I was like, uh, uh-uh. they can't help me. Like what? This is like, what they don't even, the, the, the questions they were at every, it made no sense. Mm-hmm. And it didn't change until my mom found a therapist who specialized in children who mm-hmm. and actually started this play therapy. She would just watch me draw, watch me do puzzles, right. things like that. And so she was able to crack <laughs> through those defenses I had already built as a seven-year-old, right? And 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 I'm not saying it's an impossible task, I think, but I think, you know, if you're somebody out here listening and you have an inroad to that community, whether it's family, friends, and think like you can be that change. We can be that change through mm-hmm. that of like, you know, you sit down next to somebody, you ask them how they're doing and you don't leave till they answer. And you, right. and and you might be a shit about it. Right. And, and it's, and it's one of those things that it's not a problem. You just throw money at, right. It's, it's about relationships. We talked about earlier how people don't know how to communicate. It's about establishing relationships with the community, right. Not just going in there and, and doing it because it makes you feel good. But really legitimately showing like, hey, I'm here for you. And however long it takes, we're going to do it. Right. And then you'll get that one person who says, no, I'm going to take a chance. Right. And then that person takes a chance. Then their friend is going to be like, man, you're crazy. They're going to be saying all these things. They're going to keep going. They're going to be like, come with me one day. And that's how it's going to happen. Right. It, like you said, it's going to be one person at a time. Right. And that's where the change is going to take place. And that's fine. Because if you can get that one person, that one person, they have their circle of influence. If their circle of influence, one other person is going to come. And that's really how it happens. Um, It doesn't happen just this big uh, gaping thing. That's what I'm saying. The instant gratification. We can't look at it like that. We got to play the long game um, and really put in the time. The time is the most important thing you can do. Well said, man. Well said. Yeah. I love that. And I think think the unspoken word that we, none of us have, have said, but I think it's, it's the thread that's moving through this conversation is that 
the word trust, right? There and and regardless of what community you come from, there's always a trust factor. But in you know the black community and and other you know communities. It's just it's other. That idea. It's that, just other, right? Like I, well, I think that's but, it. And, and oh, I know something you don't know, right? Because I think it goes bigger than that. I, I absolutely not saying it can't be a race or a cultural thing, but when you walk in, and and because I loved how Javon described that, if you walk in, you're like, oh, I have the solutions to your problem, and it's like, no, I've heard this shit before, man. Well, like, but that's the thing is that you have to be willing to go into the community and build that trust one by one. And show them that you care, right? Because there was a time where the three of us on this on this show, we didn't trust somebody else. And we had to get vulnerable. And in communities where people have been told things for a very long time. And so there's a there's a big lack of trust. As you were saying, for somebody else to now come in and say, Hey, I want to talk to you. I want to have this conversation. How can it takes, I think, a little extra time to build that trust. Absolutely. But I think once that trust is built, that's when the dominoes start to fall. For sure. And it, it's, it's, it's that I think that's with, with any change, you know, it's like the change makers are the ones who, you know, we hear Steve Jobs, one of the most famous speeches he gave was, you know, here's to the crazy ones, right? Those are the change makers, the people who will go into the communities and say, hey, I have no resources. I'm not here to do any of those things, but I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to come here every day and I'm going to talk to this one person and I'm going to talk to this one person. I'm going to give them my all without even knowing that it's going to work. Those are the people who really are catalysts for the big changes because they're willing to do that. They don't do it for anything, but they want to help someone else and not for their own feel good story or say, you know, posted on Instagram that, Hey, I sat here with this kid, which that diminishes everything that's done. And that's why, you know, social media really damages these efforts because these kids don't want to be a charity case. They don't want to be seen on Instagram, you know, getting help, by by you know some person you know they want that one-on-one for you to want to be there for yourself and you have to prove that right like you said the trust there you have to prove that you're not there for the accolades or for the pat on the back or for anything but you want to see them be better you want to help them get to the point where they don't even believe it's possible right and that's another key is getting them to believe that's going to take time because they always felt like they were left out. They feel like no one gives a damn, right? And they don't even know that they have the power in their, themselves to change. They're like, yeah, this is cool and all, but I have nothing like I felt when I was younger. That's how a lot of these kids are going to feel. They're like, why do you care? Like, I don't even care. So you have to get them to believe that their life can be different if they do this, right? That you can get them to see something other than what they see day in and day out in their lives. Time. And trust. Time and trust. Both. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and, and look, <laughs> hard questions don't have easy answers, you know, and, 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 and I'm not saying that, Eric, cause I, I don't think you asked that question to us expecting an easy answer, but I mean, that's, nope. that's really what it comes down to. And, and that's so and, much of it is, is it's in many ways, it's not about there. It's not about an answer. Right. Because there is, there is really, as you said, there's no. There's no answer we can point to. There's so many different pieces and parts, but it's the importance of using platforms to be able to start these conversations because the more people that have these conversations and the more people that begin to listen 
to these conversations. There may be other people out there who are now willing to take those steps to say, hey, I know somebody that I can talk to in that community that I can build some trust and make some lasting change. And that and that's how, as you were both saying, that's how it's going to it's going to happen. Absolutely. And Javon, I can't thank you enough because you are, you know, for lack of a better term, the tip of the spear, so to speak, as someone who's been through this can talk about it and has such a wonderful and positive outlook of how to overcome. And and it's not about counting up the traumas and comparing the shit, right? It's right. it's about what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? And I and I just I love I love that part of your message and I and I love all of it. So, you know, and please, if you guys got more to go, go. But I just want to make sure, Javon, that people know where to find you, where to find your work. I know you mentioned earlier live not loathe.com, but and the book, all the things. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, guys. This has been a, a very important conversation, right? Even though we've we've had fun with it, this is a very, very important conversation, very important topic. So thank you all for using your platform to talk about these types of taboo things that not a lot of people really want to talk about. We're trying um, to make them not so, taboo. So thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So just let me know how I can help with that. Um, people can find me. I am Live Not Loathe everywhere. Uh, social media and my website, you can find all things Live Not Loathe at Live Not Loathe com. That's L-I-V-E-N-O-T-L-O-A-T-H-E.com. And I do offer uh, free consultations if you just want to talk to me. I just thank you. Thank you. And if you're listening out there, I just cannot tell you enough how important it is. Like, you know, if you're if you've never been like, oh, I should talk to somebody like Javon has got the offer out there, man. And listen to what he's telling us. And, and and I'm going to I'm going to try to, you know, and, and I'm not going to get it every day. But these are important things that we can all do for ourselves and for the, our loved ones and the people around us every day. Eric. Absolutely. Yeah. Javon, thank you so much for being on the show. And and I think I always come away with more than when I came in. And and that is truly the case here. And I was thinking about this idea of leadership and you always hear lead by example and things like that. But I think in your case, it it transcends that. And I'm going to let you take this and you can run with it and use it and speak on behalf of it. But I look at you truly as vulnerability by example. Um, wow. Because I feel like, I feel as though there are lots of people who can lead, but a very big part of being a true leader, as you said, you know, and, and being who you are and your authentic self is being vulnerable. And so I I was thinking about this and thinking about, you know, how, how I was going to talk through it. But for me, vulnerability by example is, is truly what you exemplify. And, uh, and I can't wow. thank you enough for, for being on our show. And as you said, talking about these important topics, not only our own personal stories, but these larger topics that are happening in society today. And, and hopefully by having this conversation today, we can make just a little bit of an impact that wasn't there before we get on the show. So thank you so much. Hey, thank you for that. That means a lot to me, um, Eric, the, the vulnerability by example, that is, that is powerful. Um, so I really appreciate those words. I appreciate you guys again for just doing the, the important work you're doing. Please let me know how it can be of assistance, uh, in the future. And I hope we speak very soon. For sure. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much. You're part of the, you're, you're part you're of the, the from family. Survivor to Community. Hey. Now, part of the family. You're in. And, 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 and I'll, I'll add on to what Eric just said by thank you for living it. And, you know, it is, it is such a wonderful thing to watch somebody truly talking the talk and walking the walk. And, and I will remind myself often of my own agency uh, going forward and how important that is to remind and remember uh, when we're in these situations. So I cannot thank you enough on behalf of our amazing guest, Javon Wooden. Thank you. Thank you. So much appreciation and grateful for you on behalf you. of also of my wonderful co-host, Eric DeRosa. This is Mark Fernandes and I'll sign off. It's episode 113 and I didn't go crazy about the numbers tonight, but it is, it's a number, man. One, 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 three. It's all kinds of things in there, but it's the number I wore playing baseball for a long time. You were 13. 13 so yeah. I go ahead 13. and look up the numerology on your own. I did not share the athletes because there was only one I liked and a lot of them I didn't like. So I wasn't going to do that tonight, but uh, I will leave us with these words as I always do. This is Mark Fernandes, and let's please all be as well as we can. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to our show and leave us a review. Also, we'd love if you could share this episode with a friend and encourage you to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or email via the links in our show notes. See you next week.